0: Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 24, starting with
1: verse 30, and the last time the message was titled, He Desires a Personal Relationship. And it's kind of neat because, you know, there was these... Listen, fair, if, you, if someone's writing a fairy tale, everything works out wonderful and there's no flaws and no hiccups. But, you know, Jesus was resurrected and the human psyche in its sinful state is hard to grasp somebody rising from the dead. Did the disciples genuinely believe Jesus when he taught these things? Sure. Uh, I think they struggled with the fact that he was going to be crucified, that he was going to rise from the dead. And on that third day, listen, you got two people, we covered this last Sunday, They they were leaving Jerusalem, they're getting out of town. They're like, well, it's the third day, let's go to Emmaus, right? But Jesus meets them on that road and he's just tender with them, he encourages them, he helps them to rebuild that spiritual foundation. And folks, it's the same thing with us. Nothing nothing different a few thousand years later. The Lord loves us. He desires a personal relationship with us. And, you know, it's so much different than religion, right? It's so much more freeing. Uh, Today, the message is titled New Year or New Season. So we just... (laughs) I didn't time it like this, but the last uh, sermon in Luke happens to fall on New Year's Eve, which is today. And in American culture... Listen, I don't have to go through the statistics on how woefully miserable <laughs> the New Year's resolutions are. Usually by June, over 60%, they've just, they don't follow it anymore, right? But largely, because, and listen, a lot of them are good, right? I want to, I want to lose weight after all the holiday eating. You know, I want to stop smoking. I want to stop doing this, that, um, all that kind of stuff. And they're, they're good things, but they're, they're really more temporal. They're of the flesh. So they fail right? However, the disciples were embarking on a new season. So we look at New Year in American culture, but back then, the Bible taught, taught about seasons. We go through different seasons in life. Things change. So the disciples were having really a new season of, okay, Jesus was with us for three plus years. It was really great. Every day was like a party. Then he was crucified. Now he's resurrected, but he's going to ascend back into heaven. So their new season was Something that was more of a spiritual pursuit, right? They had to get used to the less than tangible Jesus, the receiving of the Holy Spirit, and going forth in God's mandate. And it's really neat because, folks, if you kind of make that, if we make that trans- transition, right, from flesh or temporal to spiritual, things go a lot better. And quite frankly, when we have a relationship with Christ as our Lord and Savior, Other things really kind of follow. So the emotional part of us, the physical part of us, a lot of things actually get better from partaking in a spiritual pursuit. So there's my attempt from Pastor Joe to sort of make a parallel with New Year's Eve resolutions. I'm not telling you not to try to do good things for yourself in your life. Um, But I would say that the spiritual part of it is more important. And we're going to look at this in four parts. So jumping in, finishing up from last time, Luke 24 verse 30, it says, now it came to pass as he, so Jesus is talking with these two disciples that are leaving Jerusalem. You know, they don't see anything amazing happen in the sky yet, so they they leave, right? But Jesus convinces them that it's really him, and then they eventually go back to Jerusalem. So it says, it came to pass, and this is the, the The crucial point right here, that as Jesus sat at the table with them, he took bread, blessed them, and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road? And while he opened the scriptures to us? Remember, he was veiled at that time. So they were amazed and blown away by his teachings, but they didn't know it was Jesus yet. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon, Peter, and they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now as they said these things, so Jesus is he's gone, now he appears again. Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. So one out of four is the tide is turning. The tide is turning. So the followers, a lot of the followers, as we read, we take all the Gospels together, they're reclusive. They're probably scared, right? They're sad, no doubt. What's going on? Is is Jesus going to come back? However, they move, they transition to gathering together, talking, right? There's an excitement. Oh, you saw him? Oh, I can't wait to see him too. There's, there's joy in this situation, but it's a slow process. And it's safe to say that uh, the Lord's followers were traumatized by the Lord's crucifixion. Man, every day was awesome. He's, he raised the dead. So for them to see Jesus get arrested by the Romans and actually beaten and flogged, and, why aren't you fighting back, Jesus? Like uh, you, know, you We would ask these questions. But he had to die for our sins. He had to let the process play out. So it was, it was certainly traumatic. But verse 32, I love this. The two, after Jesus you know, leaves again, they say, Did not our heart burn within us while He talked with us on the road and while He opened the Scriptures to us? When we're exposed to God and His Word, does our heart burn? Okay, let me just get the elephant out of the room. A lot of eating for the holidays. I don't mean heartburn and gird, Okay. I mean, didn't our hearts burn, right? When you look in the Greek, the word means to set on fire or to be consumed, right? I know for me, when I first became a Christian, when I was in religion and I went to my first Bible teaching church and I'm listening to the pastor and he's like, he's like reading God's word and he's explaining it and something was going on inside of me, you know, and then I'm like, oh, I got to come back. I didn't know anybody in that church. I came back weeks, months, and I just, I couldn't, you know, Pastor Paul, Pastor Vinny and I sometimes talk about the early days. We couldn't get enough, right? If we missed a message, we'd have to listen to it afterwards or, you know, do all those things. But it, it's, a, it's an incredible thing when our hearts burn as a result of the presence of Christ and the presence of His Word. And that's what supersedes maybe rituals and roteness of, of religion. And I'm not knocking religion because actually that word, when you look it up in the dictionary, has multiple meanings. So, But most importantly, the Lord wants a relationship with us. He doesn't want us to check our heart at the door and speak to Him through something that's been made up that somebody told somebody to say over and over again. He wants a relationship with us. So our heart's burn. Right? Even today, you know, when uh, I just, you know, minister to somebody or um, I'm praying about something and the Lord does an amazing thing, I've been a Christian almost 30 years, not quite. And um, it doesn't get old. It just doesn't get old, right? Verse 33 Cleopas and his companion do a literal 180. They change course because of their a- interaction with the risen Christ. And. When we have a true encounter with Yeshua or Christ, we can't help but to change direction as well. And I kind of, you know, people, again, whatever, everybody has a different gift, but some of these street preachers, you know, they're raising their fist and yelling at people, strangers that are walking by. But repentance is, it's sometimes scary when you hear some of these preachers, but it's something simple for me. I was just going my own way, captain of my own destiny. And the repentance, just like these two, I did a 180, introduced to Christ, and my life changed. It's that simple, right? So now I have this, especially in the early days, like do do I want to just go my way or do I want to consider what the Lord thinks I should do with some of these decisions in my life? And it's really neat. It really is a learning curve, but it's it's certainly a lot of fun. Uh, Emmaus, if you think about this, right? The two, leave Jerusalem, go to Emmaus. Emmaus represents unbelief when Jesus has an encounter with them and they turn, they go back to Jerusalem. And that represents belief. And it was a long walk to go from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Ah, it's the third day. I don't see the Romans being conquered. Let's just go to Emmaus. After Jesus, they're like, you know what, let's go back to Jerusalem. Let's talk to the other believers. Let's see if they've had an encounter like we had an encounter. Really, really exciting, right? Right Back to belief. And folks, it's okay to have lapses of faith right we're not perfect and and i think i always feel like i need to say this in a general assembly for people who are struggling they're going through something maybe they feel like they're going through a dry spiritual time you know i prayed and prayed and you know nothing's happening and you know i just want to encourage you we all go through stuff like that right life events man life happens doesn't it it takes us off our game sometimes But the Lord always allows us and is gracious with us and is patient with us to turn from Emmaus back to Jerusalem in our hearts. Amen? Amen. It's good stuff. So the two men are so blown away that they go from discouragement to the Lord invigorating them and probably can't wait to see at least one more believer and to start having a dialogue about what happened. Verse 33 through 36, we see Cleopas the companion, his companion, unnamed companion, the eleven, and it says those with the eleven. So there was a lot of believers that were starting to gather, saying, all right, it's the third day. Let's talk. Who's seen anything? What about you? Oh, tell us what happened. We heard, you know, so it's, it's a really a turning point here. They're comparing notes, but they're also rejoicing. And again, even Peter, right? Peter, bold Peter, man, he went through some crises We look up to Peter. We love Peter. But, you know, he he rose quickly and he fell hard and then he came back again. And I love that. If you've lost your way this morning, I want this to encourage you. If you're on your road to Emmaus, when you're done listening to the word, that you would turn around and go back, meet the Lord where he's at, and start afresh. It's okay. Verse 36. It says, Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones. As you see, I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? (laughs) He's like, I kind of laugh. Jesus is so awesome. He just tries, All right, let's try something else here. They're all probably standing there with their tongues hanging out of their mouth. Is it really him? I don't want to say it out loud, but I'm thinking it. So he goes, Have you any food here? So he gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. And he took it, and he ate it in their presence. <laughs> so let's try something else, right? Wow, it's, he's risen, but he can eat. And so, for those of you that really enjoy, you know, my wife and I sometimes watch the cooking channel. Um, we get to eat in our glorified bodies. We'll talk about that. So, two is a paradox of beliefs. I believe. I don't believe. I believe. I'm not sure I believe. Mark 9:23 through 24 A man comes with his son and his son is he's really in a bad way and Jesus wants to heal the son and says to the father of the son you know do you believe and the father said lord I believe help me with my unbelief Wow talk about a contradiction lord I believe but help me with my unbelief and it, aren't there times that we are a walking contradiction? Doesn't that happen sometimes? Jesus didn't yell at the guy, He just healed the Son. So now the "I believe" part became stronger than the "I, I don't believe" part. You know We want to believe. We want to be excited for the supernatural. We want to be excited for the Lord working in our lives. So this man was I just love the honesty in the Bible. If the people in the Bible weren't honest about their f- faults, I wouldn't be up here today. I wasn't perfect when I became a Christian, and when I became a Christian, I'm still not perfect. So I love the honesty in the Scripture. Pretty neat. Verse 7, the followers were terrified and frightened and thought they had seen a spirit in totality. They love this new normal, this resurrected Christ, but it's also very fresh, and it's a little little unnerving, especially him popping in and out uh, unannounced. It's something they got to get used to. And remember, it was only a few days ago that the brutalization of their Lord and Savior happened. Wow, I can't believe. You know, people go into shock over something like that, right? Every day is, is wonderful, and then one day he's arrested, and, well, they're hitting him. He's bleeding. They're, they're abusing him. They're, oh, when's this going to stop, right? It's, it's a shock to the conscience, so they're, they're trying to get used to this. Verse 38-40, through 40, they see Him, they hear Him, and they touch Him. Remember, doubting Thomas? Well, we gave him the, uh, right, the adjective doubting. But Thomas basically said, and I'll paraphrase to the rest of the believers, it's great that you all said you saw Him resurrected, but I'm not going to believe unless I can put my fingers in His wounds, basically. And Jesus Appeared to Thomas and told him to do just that. Pretty wild, isn't it? So Thomas needed a little bit more (laughs) than everybody else, but he got it. And Thomas devoted his entire life, literally traveling a world away, almost to the other side, based on the way the world was back then, to bring the gospel to anyone that he would meet. And he died a martyr's death. That's how powerful that experience is. Was with him. So Jesus helps ground them he use, by using their senses, right? Eyes, ears, touch. He's reasoning with them. You could almost put this in a medical and psychological manual, right? A behavioral manual. Because what he does is they, they suffered a traumatic event and he, he, there's this slow progression of him being gentle with them over this 40 day period before he ascends into heaven. Right, Jesus can do a lot of things. He can heal us, and you know he can make things happen. But you know Jesus isn't a genie in the bottle, where every day he comes and does something, and you know, well, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna wipe it away, and you're gonna be fine, and you're all gonna be happy and walking around. He had to strengthen them for what they were going to experience in the next few decades and their followers. So he, it was a slow progression, right? Jesus, in essence, is saying, you know, you're looking at me. I'm not an apparition. I'm not a spirit. Well, Jesus is spirit, but the way the translation meant, they thought they had seen like a ghost or some supernatural apparition, you know, that they didn't understand. But Jesus was showing them his body that he could eat. He had structure to his body. And I love this too, because in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul tells us, that one day we'll be, our bodies will be changed, right? We'll be like Him in in a sense that, you know, we, we don't get cancer, we don't get old, we don't lose our eyesight and our hearing. Man, I'm getting to the age now where, I know I shouldn't say it, but I'm going to say it anyway, you know? The other day, as I said to my wife, do you know where my phone is? I had like a bunch of things in my hand. One of them was my phone, but it was covered by the keys and my hat and, oh my goodness, you young people, one of the, you're going to see. Enjoy those young bodies. That's all I can say. They're like, we can't understand what the pastor's saying. We can't identify. You will if, if the Lord doesn't tarry. I remember those days. It wasn't that long ago. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I'd love to see their young faces and their vibrance, right? But the Bible tells us that even the, the good that we have here and, and what our bodies can do, our abilities, that in 1 Corinthians 15, we're, we're going to be changed. We're all going to be changed. Our bodies are going to be eternal. They're not going to have issues with a lack of oxygen or uh, blood pressure or uh, you know, you know, pressure from the ocean depths. We, we get to see, when we talked about Revelation, I brought a lot of Scripture in, the amazing things we're going to experience when you know, we get those new glorified bodies. And that's exciting. It really is. You don't have to worry about your A1C or your sugar levels or any of that nonsense. That goes out the window. <laughs> so, um, and I, I like this too because false teachings developed uh, maybe centuries later that Jesus was, and he was, uh, you know, invisible and he wasn't really there, but it looked like he was there. And there's sort of some of these Gnostic teachings. When you stick with the scripture, you, you totally understand this. You totally get it. And the and the, the wounds from what he did to redeem us, apparently they'll always be there, right? The, on the side, Thomas checks the, the wound in the side. The wounds are still there. Some people say scars. I don't want to nitpick, but, you know, he was wounded. He died. didn't have enough time for the skin to scar. He rose three days later. And I just believe that there is, there's a mark there because of what he did for us. The Apostle John uh, sees the heavenly throne room, uh, Revelation 4 and 5. And he says, I, I saw a lamb, as it as looked like a lamb that was slain. Right? You speak about, about Jesus. So we always know the love that he had for us will always experience that love and be reminded of it for eternity. And again, not in a bad way, but in a good way. Right? We, we talk about the millennial kingdom where evil is bound for a thousand years and people start to reproduce, right? In this glorious new kingdom with the Lord running it. And Satan is released one more time to deceive. And many of those people under the perfect environment will go with evil. It's amazing. You know, people say today, and, and we have this thing even with our government, if we throw enough money at it, we'll fix it. Right? Right? <laughs> war on cancer, the war on poverty, the war on drugs. We're not solving anything. We're just throwing money at it. Um, there's a spiritual root and element to these things. Um, so the the idea, even Adam and Eve, they had bliss. It was perfection. It's, it's faulty uh, philosophy because they had everything they could possibly want and they still fell into sin. But the good news is, After all this is over and we are in those redeemed bodies, we won't sin anymore. We won't wrestle with ourselves. right? We won't be irritated or disappointed with ourselves. All those things will be a a distant memory, so to speak. So pretty wild stuff. Um, I'm looking forward to the new bodies, no doubt, as I get older. But verse 40. Verse 40 is kind of strange. And sometimes you read the Bible and you say, you know, you read it, and you're not really sure what it's meaning here, right? Actually, it's verse 37, but they were terrified and frightened, and suppose they had seen a spirit. Verse 41, but while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, what does that mean? I looked at some uh, different translations. One of them is that, quote, a different translation is, they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement. Again, this this t- message today could be titled "Walking Contradictions." Again, they're amazed. They're this this is so cool. Like this is actually happening, but the, the belief part still has to catch up with the experience. Right? We st- do a study of the human brain and the human mind. You kind of understand some of these things. Um, <clears throat> you know, you ever you ever been? You hear about somebody who got into an accident a loved one and you go to the hospital and you know you see them and you you have so much adrenaline and anxiety that you're you're you have anxiety and you see the person and they're well and, and you're touching them just to make sure they're all in one piece right so part of you is happy but part of you still has that anxiety but the anxiety shouldn't it be gone because you see the person they're okay but this is the way we are as human beings we can have conflicting emotions and that was going on here Um, showing his hands and feet, eating in their presence. It's like a slow, steady desensitization therapy. And over time, over those 40 days, he gives them what they need. He goes, goes to other believers, comes back, right? And this happens until the ascension into heaven. So let me go back to verse 36, where Jesus stands in the midst of them and says to them, peace to you, peace to you. We see three types of peace in the Scripture. Actually, we see four. T- we actually see multiple types of peace. In Romans 5, it tells us that the sinful state of men and women, we're at enmity with God, and we, we don't realize it. However, in Romans 5, that when we receive Christ as our Savior, He has paid the sacrifice for sin, we have a peace with God, right? There's no more enmity. We're, we're good. Us and, we're good. Right now, we're good, because Christ has died for our sins. So that's one type of peace. Philippians four seven is another type of peace, right? The peace that we can receive that surpasses all understanding. It doesn't make sense. Wait, you're... you're And I, I've met people, uh, mentors of mine, that were going through some horrible things, and it wasn't a show. Like, they were... They, they just had joy. They had peace. And as a, as a young believer, I would scratch my head and say, wow, how is... This has to be supernatural. It's that peace that surpasses all understanding. We see the peace in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. So now, as believers, as we grow in the Spirit, we exude that peace. Right? It's part of our makeup. It's part of our character. Do we get it right all the time? Of course not. But we, we start to see a characteristic... The old, I remember the old Joe. It definitely, I look back over decades and I'm like, definitely there's a change. And, you know, it's not like, oh, I'm the pastor, I don't have to change anymore. God still wants to do a work in me. The the whole time I'm I'm on this earth, He's still going to work with me, right? And that is in conflict with the world's peace. What is the world's peace? What are we seeing in the news lately, right? A ceasefire. So, the world will be happy when there's no more war, okay? Okay? But the Lord's peace gives us peace in the middle of these storms. Seeing what happened in Sudan and Nigeria and uh, Ukraine and, you know, a lot of these places, these the people who are tied into the Lord and there's bombs going off and, you know, getting food and water is difficult, but they, they're exuding this peace to others in the area. That is a powerful thing, right? But the world says, no, no, no. You'll have peace when we make your circumstances and surroundings better. God says, No, I will carry you through those storms. So you can have peace through the storms. I tell you, as somebody who was brand new in the faith, that's what I wanted because I didn't have that. I didn't have that. Verse 44 Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Well, that's powerful. I don't like the teaching when pastors say, you need to read a chapter a day. I would rather you read a few verses one day and say, wow, that, those verses really spoke to me. Right? The devil knows the entire Bible, but he doesn't apply it, obviously. They're theologians that their heads are in the clouds. They know everything in the Greek and Hebrew and this, that, and the other thing in archaeology, but they don't live the faith. So Jesus said He wanted them to comprehend the Scriptures. That's different than just head knowledge. Then He said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ, speaking of Himself, to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. Remember, if Christ didn't die for the sins of humanity, what would they be doing after He resurrected? They'd be nothing. They'd be meandering, bumping into each other. Yeah, was this really great guy, and he didn't eat. You know, whenever we were hungry, he magically multiplied food. That's not what it was about. He, He said He came to die. Leviticus 17, there is no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. So, three out of four is restoring the foundation. Jesus had to reinforce what was vital, the entirety, very important, of the Word of God. I've listened to a lot of false teachers. They can never take a healthy portion of Scripture and exegete it. They can't teach it. Because they have more of a, an eisegetic, uh, mindset where they want to believe what they want to believe and they want to make God's word say what they want to believe. So they cherry pick different verses. I've actually uh, read books from false teachers. Some of them are in Christian libraries. Libraries, not libraries. But um, I'm hungry. <laughs> but uh, some things you keep to yourself. So, but the point is that, you know, I, I'll see them, right? I'll see them, how they they... They skirt around certain scriptures to make a point to their following, right? My wife and I were watching something on some cult. And man, there's so many cults. How these people, like they gave, they they ostracized themselves from all their loved ones. They gave all their money. And I'm like, why do people do this? This dude is filthy rich. He's got a hanger full of planes and you're still sending him money. He should be sending you money. You know what I'm saying? weird but they are powerful manipulators of piece bits and pieces of the word taking it out of context know the word and when you know the word comprehend the word and then apply the word the word is powerful isn't it right there's a lot of things you could do with the word so Jesus did the same thing to the eleven and those that were with the eleven. There was a lot of followers starting to gather together that he did with the two men on the road to Emmaus. The word, the word, the word, the word. Sadly, every year, Pastor Vinny looks up a lot of these statistics, how churches now are departing from the word. But this is part of the great apostasy that we read about. So what are we going to talk about on Sunday? Politics, current events, philosophies, things that don't last? No. We need to talk about the Word and and comprehend the Word. You realize, think about this. At this time, there was no such thing as a New Testament. It wasn't written yet. So how did the Jewish people come to Yeshua or their Christ? Through the Old Testament. We're going to see some of that next Sunday. Word's powerful. Verse 46, it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead. And this is kind of can categorize this of when God's word isn't comfortable. Did Jesus always make his followers feel comfortable? Safe spaces, you know, nothing's going to trigger you or affect you? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Right? God's word sometimes can be uncomfortable. And he was going back to Scripture saying, Listen, you, you know you know the Word. You, a lot of you were taught this as kids. Isaiah 53, Psalm 22. You knew this had to happen. Right? Get, get them back to restoring the foundation. Jesus taught the bitter and the sweet. And folks, you know, I, I also run into sometimes people that, and I'm not criticizing anybody, but they'll say, oh, I'm going through something. Like, I just can't do anything. I can't serve. I can't volunteer. You know, um... I find for me that when I'm going through something, serving God is therapy. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you come out of yourself for a moment. Like even the, right the, the uh, food for the soul. You go down there on a Friday, you forget all your problems. You see people who are poor, right? right in our building, we giving, giving them food, and their eyes light up, and clothing, and all kinds of stuff. You just sometimes you drive home, you're like, oh yeah, my problems again, but. We, we should be serving God through the crises. Listen, if pastors did that type of behavior, I'd be like, all right, I'm not preaching for the next three months. I'm going through something, whatever. And then I come back and go, oh, I'm, I'm good again. Things are good. And then six months later, oh, I can't preach for another two months. It doesn't work like that. My pastor told me, are you sure you're ready for this? Because no matter what's going on in your life, you still need to be consistent with your calling of teaching the Word. And sometimes when somebody says to me, "Wow, that message really spoke to me," it 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 just pricked my heart. Maybe I'm quiet, but I I go home and I tell my wife, "I'm like, we are going through something so horrible, and God is squeezing right. We're we're being pressed by this, and there's a fragrance of Christ that's coming out. You know, there's times that you know it's been just rough. Something happened." And I'm not even prepared on Sunday morning. And people are like, that really spoke to my heart. And I'm, I'm like, I just sometimes, I smile at God. I'm like, you, you really have a way of, so let's see, if I, if I do something to myself, maybe the sermons will be better? No, no, it doesn't work like that. So, but God is good, you know? It's, It's therapeutic to preach and to... To do the things of the Lord uh, through your trials. Verse forty-seven: Repentance and remission of sins must be preached to all the nations. Right? Second Corinthians five says that we have the ministry of reconciliation. We have the every Christian has the ability to reconcile that person that's unsaved to God, and it may not happen overnight. It may take months, may take years, but we do have that ability because we have the Spirit. Don't sell yourself short but I'm not you, Pastor Joe. Good. This world would be weird if there were 8 billion Pastor Joes walking around. I I wouldn't want to be here. It would just be weird. So you are you. You have your own gifts. You're unique. Take the Word, comprehend it, and apply it the way God wants you to. Even if you're just a good listener to somebody who's going through something, you're starting that ministry of reconciliation because they're going to notice something about you. It's good stuff here, isn't it? Um, verse 47 through 48, the Great Commission. <clears throat> Many wonder why a small band of Christian followers, they, did, they didn't arm themselves. And when the, Roman, the full weight of the Roman government came down heavy on them, how it, it couldn't exterminate them when it wanted to, this is the reason. They had a relationship with someone who was resurrected and knowing that their own death was temporary, And they would forego any temporary comfort or perceived safety while acting out or applying the Lord's mandate in their lives. Amen? Amen. Right? The Fox's Book of Martyrs. I would encourage every Christian to just read some of it. It's just a chronicling. I was reading uh, when it was the Soviet Union, there was some accounts of Russian soldiers who became believers in Christ, and they were abused by their commanders. They wanted them not. We're communists. We can't, we can't believe this stuff. Some of them perished, but they wouldn't recount Christ as the Lord. They were going places. They were soldiers. They could move up the chain of command, right? But they wouldn't recount that faith in Jesus Christ. Fox's Book of Martyrs just has people from all over the world that have experienced these things. Very powerful stuff. Um. <clears throat> And in the other Gospels, you know, it it adds what Jesus said about going and making disciples. Again, as Christians, we're supposed to be concerned with everyone's salvation. Even if you say to the Lord, I'm just not ready, I don't have the tools yet, that that one person in your mind, you just keep praying for them, praying for them, praying for them. Will God use you physically? Maybe not. Maybe he'll use somebody else, but you might find in eternity that your prayers, your consistent prayers, had an effect on that person. Sometimes people come up to me, Actually, somebody did it this morning. I'm praying for you, Pastor Joe. Part of me wants to say, what did the Lord tell you? What's going to (laughs) happen? I didn't say that. Whoever it was, I talked to so many people. But I smile because I know people are praying for me. Thank you. I appreciate that. We need prayer too. So, good stuff. Last few verses, verse 49. Behold, Jesus says, I send you the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem. Wait there until you are endued with power from on high. He led them out as far as Bethany and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven and they worshipped him. We're going to end on this note because there are false teachers that say, well, Jesus was just a man. No, if Jesus was just a man, he couldn't have died for our sins. Not possible. So they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually... In the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. Amen. Amen right? So four is a learning curve, right? The ascended Christ. This is a learning curve for them. But he says, Tarry in Jerusalem, I'm going to send you the promise of my Father. Uh, if we could turn to John 14:26, right? While Jesus was with them prior to the crucifixion. He speaks about the Holy Spirit. He tells them, and this was a foreign concept to them, but they would figure it out over time. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things. Now, He's speaking about the time that He's going to be ascended. Right? Because when He was on the earth, He vocally was teaching them. He was the Word of God. So, crucifixion, death, resurrection. Holy Spirit's coming. You're not going to be left alone he will teach you all things and bring you to your remembrance all the things that I said to you, right? John fifteen twenty six. It says, Jesus says, he, cause he, so He said this a few times, making sure they understood what was going to happen. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify of me. Now, this is important because, you know what? Those clergy and those preachers who say weird stuff and do weird stuff and say it's the Holy Spirit, they're going to answer to God. Holy Spirit is, is God, right? And I remember one preaching. Actually, this one preacher died. There's a few preachers that died very untimely deaths that were false preachers. One guy was, and I heard the sermon. He's like, I got the Holy Spirit. I got the Holy Spirit. I'm going to release Him. What do you have him in a cat carrier? What, what does that mean? I, I'm going to open the door and let him out? He's God. I don't have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has me. We've we got to get the relationship right. Far be it for me to, to tell God what, I, what I'm going to do with Him. and make That's crazy. So weird stuff happens in the name of the Holy Spirit because I would say that arguably the Holy Spirit is the most misunderstood person of the Godhead. So when there's a misunderstanding, people take advantage of that. So, the Holy Spirit came to what? Point everybody back to Jesus. To help us to reconcile the unsaved with their Creator. Um, but also, right, to help that person, especially who's young in the Lord, to understand who God is. Who's Christ? Died for your sins. I can't do this on my own. I pray every time before I come up here. I, don't, I never come up here without praying. Like, Lord, you know, you, you know. And some things, sometimes I'll say something that's not even in my notes. And somebody will come to me and goes, that really ministered to me. Well, that was great because that was the Holy Spirit because I didn't even write it down. I don't know where it came from. It had to come from Him. So, it's fun stuff doing this, right? And it says they worshipped Him. Now, even angels in the book of Revelation, twice John got so excited because this angel was giving him this kind of guided tour of these visions and two times in the book of Revelation, John, I don't think he did it to be blasphemous. He just was overwhelmed, sensory overloaded. He, he goes down and he bows down to worship at the angel's feet. And The angel said, get up, don't do that. Uh, we don't receive worship. It's only God that receives worship. So for them to worship Jesus and He doesn't rebuke them, ooh, who is He? He's fully God and fully man. Um, 1 Corinthians 14, as we close. God is a God of order, right? We see this 40-day post-resurrection transitional period with Christ's tangibility decreased, but the Holy Spirit increase, And the Holy Spirit points to Jesus. There's so much order. God is God of order, right? In the Old Testament, right? Father, you know, appearing to Moses and parting the Red Sea. And, and God the Father had, you would say, a prominent role. And what did he do through his prophets in the Old Testament they pointed to the Christ right then God the Son comes Christ he's taken a prominent role it's him now they were all co-equal persons of, of the Godhead but that you know that sacrificing himself for the remission of sins was important so you see the order Old Testament pointing to Christ Christ right the, the understanding the meaning of salvation Christ ascends Holy Spirit comes what does he do Points back to Christ again. You see the order here? It's pretty neat. God is a God of order. Listen, a new year or a new season. It's what I love about this, is that um, when I made the transition, and again, I might say, it, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm not criticizing. You know, oh, well, it's a new year. It's kind of symbolic. Uh, I'm going to, whatever. Whatever you want to do, that's good. That's fine. But more importantly, is for a new season, in our spiritual life folks it's hard it's hard for people to understand but that this world is really um it's it's a grace period it's a practice period right this world is not to uh, just go and have fun and we should have fun god wants us to have fun but we have to keep our relationship with god in in line right every person either i see on the news or I run into or strangers or whatever in my mind I'm always thinking do they know Christ? Sometimes I'll just stop and you know I don't do a show I'll just nobody hears me sees me I'm just like all right lord I just pray for that person. I don't know what's going on. If there's an open door, give me an open door. This this life is 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 a practice. It's a proving grounds, right? It, it it's about us being reconciled to the living God and then when that happens for the holy spirit to use us and to help to reconcile other people, right, to God. Sometimes I'll have a dream about a friend in college or high school and I'll wake up and I'm like, I pray for that person. I don't know why I dreamt about that person, but I'm like, I wonder if they know the Lord, right? So to me that's that's my whole life. When I get to be in eternity, all I care about is did, did I do what the Lord has called me to do, right? So the best resolution is To understand John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. So, if you want to merge the two, the cultural things that we're dealing with right now and the spiritual things, if you don't know the Lord, come up and receive Christ. We'll give you an opportunity. If you're watching on the live stream, if you're at home, you could receive Christ in your living room, on your ki- in your kitchen table while you're by yourself and you're watching this sermon and saying, really, I could do that? Absolutely. It isn't a formula. It isn't about the words. Tell the Lord. I don't know you, but I want to know you. Right? Come into my life. I do believe that Jesus died for my sins. Lord, help me to grow. This is something very new to me. And then I would say for those of us that are believers, right? if we want to do or we want to be resolute, make resolutions. I'll give an opportunity even after that to just to stand and to re- receive more of the Holy Spirit, to ask for the Holy Spirit to, to sh- give us more power in our lives, to bless others. So with all these things, temporal or spiritual, well, this one will stand the test of eternity. This one won't.